Lord God, we come before you right now as we prepare our hearts and minds to get into your word, to get into the words that you led some of these amazing men to, to write, Lord. Lord, a lot of times we take for granted the in the magnitude of what you've written down, Lord, that your, your everlasting and beautiful words. Lord, right now, we ask that you open up our minds and hearts so that we can receive it, Lord, so that we can understand what, you, what it is that you want to tell. Regardless of the age, regardless of the circumstances, whether we're going through good times or bad times, that you have a word for us, Lord. And right now, as we get into the passage, I just ask that you speak to us in a glorious and mighty way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, let me just go ahead and set up here. All right, so before I begin this morning, I want to share a short story I read. An old Scotsman operated a little rowboat for transporting passengers. One day, a passenger noticed that an old man had carved, can you show me the, I'm sorry, can you just turn this, oh, yeah, sorry. One day, a passenger noticed that the old man had carved on one oar the word faith and on the other oar the word works. Curiosity led the man to ask the meaning of this. The old man said, I will show you. He dropped one oar and piled the other called works, and the boat went around in circles. Then he dropped that oar and began to ply the other oar called faith and the little boat just ran around in circles again. After this demonstration, the old man picked up faith and works and plying both oars together, sped swiftly over the water, explaining to his inquiring passenger, you see, that is the way it is in the Christian life. Dead works without faith are useless and faith without works is dead. But faith and works pulling together make for safety, progress, and blessing. In the passage we're about to read, you will see how certain individuals chose to pick up and use those oars of faith and works, and how that decision led them places that brought them safety, progress, and blessing. You will also see how others couldn't see beyond the circles they were going in because of the one oar they were adamant about using. So read along with me as I begin chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verses, starting in verse 1. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was home. 
So many people gathered together so there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the message to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four men. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above where he was. And when they had broken through, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. By the, by the time Jesus returned to Capernaum, his popularity had grown exponentially. So that's why we see that in this house, it was maxed out, maxed out beyond its capacity. Whether it was out of curiosity or whether they actually had this faith, or whether they actually had faith in Jesus, um, whatever it was that brought people to see Jesus, there was no denying that he was doing something that they had never seen or witnessed before. You see, Jesus was radically healing people from both the outside and from, and from within. If you remember from the previous chapter, he was healing people from their sicknesses and diseases. And he was also driving out demons. So he was. He was driving out people. He was healing people from the outside and from within. So there he was in his house, preaching and teaching Probably expanding on what we read about in chapter 1, verse 15. The little did anyone know that somewhere outside this house, there was four men whose faith in Jesus would soon be demonstrated by the lengths they were willing to go to help their friend out. You see, these four men had made every attempt to get their friend into this house, to get close to Jesus. But there was no way in. They just couldn't do it. You see, deep within them, they believed that Jesus could, could and would help their friend, and nothing was going to stop them from making, of making sure that happened. So even though they realized there was no way through the doors, there was no way through the windows, their persistence and their determination to not give up led them to finally look up and ask God for help. And there, as they looked up, in plain view, was there an answer to their prayer? Now this is what I imagine going, going down. This is what I imagine happening. You have these four men carrying their friend on a mat, and they're trying to get into this house. They're trying through every door, every crook, every, every, every way they possibly could, through the windows. It, it was just, it was just, there was no room. They couldn't even see. And all they wanted to do was to bring Jesus, I mean, bring this man to Jesus. And as they're standing there outside, wondering what, how are they gonna help their friend? How is this gonna happen? I mean, they, they look up. They look up to the sky. They look up to, to just God again. How are we gonna do this, Lord? You don't know how many times I've found myself just doing the same thing. Is it, just walking around and just looking up to the heavens and just saying, Lord, how? How are we going to do this? How are we going to make this happen? And then finally, they see, they understand that God is saying, there, right there, right there's your answer on the roof. So they made their way to the roof as quickly as possible. I can just again picture them just 
running quickly, as fast as they could, up to this roof. But again, being as gentle as possible because they were carrying their, their paralyzed friend. And as they made their way to the roof, they just began to break these tiles. Now, uh, these tiles, I mean, we're, we don't exactly know what kind of tiles they were, but they just started breaking through them. Nothing was gonna stop them. They were breaking through these tiles, knowing that the treasure that they were looking for, the treasure, their goal, was just a few feet beneath them. So finally, they get this roof open. Now, I can only imagine, can you imagine being the owner of this house and seeing your roof being broken over, open? How would you react? Just, I know people were just astonished and shocked at, at what they were seeing. But as they broke open this, this roof with all their might, now with all ease and gentleness, they just started, started to lower their friend down on this mat. Their friend that couldn't move, their friend that just had, for so many years, probably for his own entire life, he just, he couldn't move, he couldn't walk, he couldn't support himself. Here, they lower him right to the feet of Jesus. Before I continue, I want to share with you something Corey Ten Boom said. Now, if you don't know who Tori, Corey Ten Boom was, she was a Dutch Christian who helped many Jews escape the Nazi Holocaust. This is what she had to say about this type of remarkable faith. Faith sees the invisible, believes the unbelievable, and receives the impossible. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, also put this kind of remarkable faith in the following way. God loves with a great love the man whose heart is bursting with a passion for the impossible. Now these guys, these four guys, displayed a faith that we ought to strive to emulate. They put their faith into action. Now, in my experience of, of my time of, of being a Christian, I've heard many people, and I even, this has even happened, I've even been guilty of this. I've heard many people verbally claim to have faith. But when it came down to actually walking the talk, when it came down to actually living that faith and doing it and walking it, their actions never reflect their claims. However, on the other hand, I've also seen people put their faith into action, and I got to witness God do incredible things in and through that person, in and through their lives. You know why? Simply because they decided that nothing was gonna stop them from believing that Jesus would and could help them. Regardless of what the outcome was going to be, they nothing was gonna stop them. I mean, a lot of times we know that when we place our faith and trust and, and, and we believe in these promises of Jesus to get us through these difficult times, it's, we can't, I mean, it, things don't always turn out the way we want them to, but we have to trust again that God knows. God is magnificent, he is merciful, and, and he knows what's best for us. 
when you decide to come to a place of complete trust that God knows what's best for you, an extraordinary peace takes over. It overtakes you. It overwhelms you. Paul wrote about this peace in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. He said, don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, seeing this remarkable faith of these guys also helps us to reflect on our own faith. After you leave here today, after you, you're, you're home and you're in your own rooms and in your own beds, just looking at the ceiling, ask yourself these questions. During difficult times, what lengths are you willing to go to meet with Jesus? In your persistence and in your determination to not give up, are you looking up? Are you looking up to get the answers that you need? And also, will you be willing to rip through whatever obstacles so that nothing will stand in the way between you and the Lord? Now look at the next verse with me. Verse 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. So as Jesus is there, he's watching all these events, this whole event take place. He sees the roof being torn open. He sees this man coming down from, from the sky, from the roof. Jesus sees and understands the faith that it took to bring this paralyzed man to Jesus. He then says something that completely blows their minds. He says something that completely blows the minds of the four men on the roof. Not just the boat, to the four men on the roof, the paralyzed man that were helping, and to the scribes that were observing all this take place. Jesus says to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. You see, to the four men on the roof, yes, they had an unyielding faith that Jesus was going to heal their friend. They didn't, they, it wasn't a doubt in their mind, or else they wouldn't have gone through this, through all this effort to bring this, their friend to the feet of Jesus. There was no doubt that, that, uh, that Jesus, they had no doubt that Jesus would heal their friend. However, their faith in Jesus never went beyond what he could do for them, for, for their, what he could do for their friend outwardly. I'll say that again. However, their faith in Jesus never went beyond what he could do for their friend outwardly. You see, they were expecting one thing, and in reality, and what ended up happening is they got, they got something else. Now, put yourself in their, in their shoes. If you brought this man, this your friend, to Jesus and made all these efforts to bring him to the feet of Jesus, wanting Jesus, believing that Jesus can heal your friend, and finally he gets there and Jesus says to him, son, your sins are forgiven, what will go through your mind? 
I'm sure one of the first thoughts, well, what do you mean? We're not, we didn't bring him for that. We brought him so that he can be healed. You know, in their minds, they were wanting one thing, but Jesus was doing something completely radical, something completely different that didn't work, that they weren't expecting. Now, in regards to the paralyzed man, he too was just expecting just a physical healing. He was just, he was also just expecting to receive physical healing. But when Jesus spoke those words to him, all those things that had kept him paralyzed inside of his heart, all those things that he was living with and dealing with, all those things that were that were holding him back had been healed. Had those words been the only thing he heard from Jesus, it would have been more than sufficient. It would have been more than enough. I mean, I, for me, I can be in a wheelchair, a paraplegic for the rest of my life, but that peace of knowing that my sins are forgiven is sufficient enough. Knowing that I'm free, knowing that I no longer have to live with guilt. I don't, I don't ever have to live with, with these things, all these terrible things that I've done in my, my whole entire life to torment me. Having the peace that all that has been wiped away, that is sufficient, more than sufficient than just the physical healing. Now to the religious scribes out there, Jesus' proclamation had shocked them so much that they began to rationalize in their own minds what they had just heard. See, every aspect of their theological understanding had just been assaulted. Well, these scribes, they can argue amongst themselves. They can fight amongst themselves about doctrine and about theological things and and they can debate one another the one thing they can always agree on that God alone can forgive sins check this out pick it up in verse 6 but some of the scribes were sitting there thinking to themselves why does he speak like this he's blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus understood in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, pick up your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, picked up the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, in case, in case you were wondering who these scribes were, what, who are these scribes? What, I mean, what are, you, what, are, what are you talking about, scribes? 
these were in charge of copying and interpreting the laws found in the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. The Pentateuch, as others would call it. These were the professional religious scholars of the time that were called upon to resolve difficult religious cases. You can, I guess you can call them the religious lawyers. They were also the kind that would typically, unlike the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we'll find out later on, they were typically the kind that would contemplate about, contemplate about things first before they spoke. Now, I also want to mention an interesting observation. These scribes that were sitting in the house, that were sitting there, these scribes weren't, weren't standing in the back. They weren't jumping up to see what Jesus was, was saying. They weren't moving people out of the way and, and you know, sitting in the windowsill. No, they were sitting right there. They were sitting right there listening and watching in the VIP section. Sometimes the biggest critics of your life aren't gonna be the ones that are in the VIP box of your life. Sometimes your biggest critics, those people that are just gonna, gonna have this cynicism towards you, who are gonna, who are just gonna doubt you, and who are gonna criticize you, are gonna be the ones that are just the closest to you. And this is what we see going on here with these scribes sitting there in the front row, just like this, thinking to themselves about what Jesus had just said. We're told that these scribes were thinking and questioning in their own minds and in their own hearts what they had just heard Jesus, what they had just heard come from the mouth of Jesus. Now the fact that they were questioning within themselves what they had just heard shouldn't come really as a surprise given their profession. It really shouldn't come to a surprise because again, these were the thinkers, these were the scholars who understood, who supposedly understood the law. What is surprising is that given their profession, they had already come to a conclusion based on their own assumptions, regardless of the facts and regardless of the evidence. In other words, these scribes already made a judgment based solely on the words that Jesus had spoken. It's kind of like this, just to give you an example. It would be as if I told you that that kid sitting there, that, that kid sitting right there, Anthony, if I told you that kid is my son, but after taking that, after you take a glance at him, you came to the conclusion that he wasn't, and that I was just a crazy man speaking out of my butt. That I had, you know, this, this, he's not obviously his son, sometimes and a lot of actually this happens a lot of times we do we we're guilty of this too where we make assumptions based on our own ideas based on what we just because we, we look just because of the way someone looks or what someone says without looking at the facts without looking at the evidence without seeing if this is if what I'm saying is actually true. Now, however, these scribes 
what these scribes were actually doing was making unsound, introspective conjectures. And as they were doing this, Jesus, we're told in verse 8, says right away, Jesus understood in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. Within, within themselves. Not only did he know what they were talking about, not only did he know what they were thinking, he also called them out on it. Again, it's like me saying, I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking, and I'm gonna call you out. I mean, imagine again the shock in, their, in the, the, the faces of these scribes. And he called them out by asking, by asking them two simple questions. Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? And which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your mat, and walk? Now, it's, it's important to clarify a couple things. I believe the way that the, the only way Jesus knew this was because the Father revealed it to him. Secondly, the reason Jesus went about doing it this way was to show us the error of making false assumptions and having a prejudicial mentality. Now, with that being said, I want you to try to place yourself in the shoes, or maybe even like the sandals, of these scribes as Jesus asked these questions. What do you think would be easier? To say your sins are forgiven, or to say, pick up your mat and walk? If you think it would be easier to say your sins are forgiven, how would you know? How would you know whether a person's sins have actually been forgiven? There's no way, there's no way of knowing. There's no way of really proving that a man's sins have been forgiven. Only God knows. Only God and that individual who believes that their sins have been forgiven really knows. Now this may have been the reason why he didn't say anything out loud. This might have been the reason, because we don't see evidence of them shouting and saying things and and screaming at him, we're just told that they were thinking these thoughts in their head. Now that may have been a reason why they didn't say anything. Had this statement been stood on its own without any evidence, it would have been easier for them to prove that Jesus was just a hack, making wild claims. You see, they also saw this man coming down from the ripped up roof. They saw him being lowered and they were just watching and they were just waiting to see what Jesus was going to do, what Jesus was going to say. So when they heard this man, so when they heard Jesus tell this man that his sins were forgiven, their thoughts revealed their prejudicial attitudes and their eagerness to burn him. Now, if you think it would be easier to say, take up your mat and walk, then the only way to prove it is if this man actually got up, picked up his mat, and walked home. That's the only way to prove it. There's no denying, there's absolutely no denying when a clear and obvious miracle takes place right there, 
right in front of you. If you saw a paralyzed man right now, right here in front of us, and Jesus came up to him and told him, get up and walk. There's no denying, There's no denying that he performed a miracle. That his words, because of his words, this man was now able to get up and walk. Had Jesus said this, instead of saying, your sins are forgiven, and this man continued in the same condition, it would have been easier for those scribes to claim that Jesus was an imposter. So what do you think? What do you think would be easier to say? But I love what happens here. They don't even have to answer the question. Jesus answers the question for them by giving them the proof that they were looking for. Jesus says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority honor to forgive sins he told the paralytic I tell you get up pick up your mat and go home had this man remained in the same paralyzed condition he was in Jesus would have been proven a fake and neither statement the statement of your sins are forgiven and take up your mat and walk wouldn't have any validity but this man did get up this man did get up and he did he did exactly what Jesus told him to do he got up rolled up his mat and just walked out in front of everybody oh, what an amazing scene what an amazing just sitting there being a part of it oh man the thought, again, is just incredible, seeing this scene. What Jesus did at that particular, at, 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 right then and there, it brought further credibility to his claims, his words, and his teachings. You see, from that point forward, when Jesus would forgive a person's sins, either that would have to be taken at face value, seriously considered or be completely disregarded because of naivety, personal opinion, or willful defiance. What we see at the end of this meeting is that we're told that everyone were just completely amazed and were glorifying God. They were just, praise God, they were just glorifying a room full of people, maxed out, glorifying God, saying, we had never seen anything like this before. I have no doubt that if any of us were in that room, we would be doing the same thing. What an amazing picture. What an amazing God that we have in Jesus. He knew exactly what needed to be said at that particular moment in time. He knew 
what these scribes were thinking. He knew that these people had their doubts that were in that room. It just wasn't for the, for the scribes themselves, but it was for everybody. It was for us as well who had doubts. Can Jesus really forgive sins? Yes, he can forgive sins. He, he died to forgive you for your sins. He hung in that cross to forgive you of your sins. He was beaten and bloodied to forgive you of your sins. You just have to believe. You have to accept him. Having that faith it just can free you from anything, all that guilt that's inside of you. And before I wrap up, I want to read just the last two verses. These last two verses in chapter 2. In verse 13, chapter 2, it says, Then Jesus went out again besides the sea. The whole crowd was coming to him, and he taught them. Then moving on, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collectors at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So he got up and followed him. Jesus went back to the same area where he had found Simon, Andrew, James, and John. He went back to that same area. And we get, again, we see the large crowds that just were attracted to Jesus. Wherever he went, he just attracted these large crowds of people. And one of the things that we also begin to notice that as these crowds begin to come and, and, and come to him, he begins to, to teach them. He begins to, to show them and to give them a message. Jesus, and that's what he does, he just teaches. Verse 14 tells us he begins to move on to his next location. As he begins, as he's done teaching, and as he's moving forward, and as he, now he's like, okay, I need to go to this next place. He sees a man. He sees a man named Levi. Now later on, um, this man is known as Matthew. But right now he sees this man, Levi, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Right here we're told that it was a tax collector's office. Kind of like today, tax collectors were absolutely despised. They were hated. No one, no, no one, there wasn't really anybody you can find at that time that can say anything positive, anything good about a tax collector. You see, these tax collectors had the responsibility of collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. And they were also known to skim off the top for their own pockets. You see, every government has to you know, uh, collect taxes. And this is what the Roman Empire was doing through all their provinces, through all the areas that they were in control of. They were collecting taxes. And they had appointed people, certain people, to collect those taxes. But these people were not only collecting taxes for the Roman Empire, for Caesar, but they were also skimming off the top and putting into their own pockets. Now they knew that no one liked them. They understood before they even entered that profession, they knew that no one liked them. 
You think they didn't go into this profession saying, you know what, I'm going to be an excellent tax collector. I'm going to be the best tax collector I possibly can be for God. No, they, they understood. So they ran with a certain circle. They just, they only hung out and were friends with people that were also looked down upon by their own communities. However, as Jesus walks by, this man named Levi, just like he did with the two sets of brother he, brothers that he had previously called to follow him, Jesus sees something special in Levi. He sees something unique, something special in Levi that made him reach out to him. And he tells him, And just like that, just like that, just like Simon, Andrew, James, and John, he gets up and leaves that old life behind. Everything, his, everything about his former life, he just leaves in that office, in that tax collector's booth. And he says, I'm done. Yes, I will follow you, Jesus. He began to follow Jesus. I'm glad, you don't even know how glad I am that Jesus reaches out to those people that are least liked by society. We can all think of those people that, that, that society has, has brandished as social deviants, social outcasts, all those people that our society would say, you know what, we don't want anything to do with them because they're just... Even thinking about them makes me sick. Today, we see Jesus continue to reach out and call those very same people. And even now in the 21st century, he calls those people from those places that some would just, wouldn't want anything to, to, to that what other people would consider beneath them. He goes there. Places like the jails, places like the prisons, places like the strip clubs and the bars and, and you know, all those places that some people would just rather have nothing to do with. As Christians, we have to be open to be used by God to reach those very same people for Christ. Romans 10, 13 through 15 tells us this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. I have no doubt that God can use your own beautiful feet to bring others to Christ. He wants to bring, he wants to use your own beautiful feet to go to those places that maybe I can't go to. 
to reach those people that maybe I can't reach. You have your own circles. You have your own, you know, little tiny communities that you deal with, that you constantly deal with, and that you constantly interact with. And Jesus wants to use your beautiful feet. Jesus wants to use you to reach those people in your circle. Jesus wants to use you to bring others to Christ. You see, the net, you never know. You never know who you're going to be, who you might be sharing Christ with. That person that you never would have accepted, never would have thought, would have ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior could be the next Billy Graham, could be the next great evangelist, could be the next great missionary, could be the next best preacher that America needs to bring revival to this country. You just never know. And all you have to do is just share the love of Christ. Look again at Levi. Little did he know how God would use him to reach people even to this day with the gospel account that we know today as the gospel of Matthew. The Bible, the, what we have here, the, the gospel prior to what we're studying here in Mark is the gospel of Matthew. Before Matthew was Matthew, he was Levi. And now the gospel that he recorded is in our Bibles and we're and yes he lives are changed because of that gospel so as I as I finish up as I as I conclude there's a few things I want us to I just want to review what we looked at this morning what we just looked at we saw the incredible and unyielding faith of four men we saw how a paralyzed man received a greater gift than just physical healing. And we also saw how the errors, the errors that come with having preconceived assumptions and prejudicial attitudes without completely hearing all the facts, without completely knowing and hearing all the facts. And we also saw how Jesus believes the potential, believes the potential in those who were disliked, disliked by society. I think one of the biggest lessons we can learn from our text today is best described in this quote I found from Augustine. Seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. In other words, guys, our human understanding will always limit our faith. Our minds are just... Our rationalizations about things will always limit our faith. But if we begin with faith, we'll be able to understand more. We'll be able to completely see more and understand more without those human limitations. So I want to end by asking you just a few questions. Are you letting your own understanding about God 
Are you letting your own understanding about Jesus Christ limit your faith? You see, again, this was the problem the scribes had. They couldn't believe because their knowledge was getting in the way. Their own head knowledge was, was an obstacle, was just, was, you know, for them, it was like, you know what, the Bible, the, the law says this, and the Torah, and the Pentateuch, and, and only God can forgive sins, and what does he think he, that was getting in the way between what, what, what God was doing in that room, what he was trying to do through Jesus. So are you letting your own understanding limit your faith? Or will you have, or will you believe in order to understand? Like these four guys who believed that Jesus would heal their friend. Like the paralyzed man whose faith was rewarded in a way that he wasn't expecting. Or like Levi, who left a lavish lifestyle because he simply believed in Jesus' words, follow me. Are you, are you ready to pick up those oars of faith and works so that the Holy Spirit can direct you in safety, progress, and blessing? Or will it continue to go into circles because you're adamant about using only one of those oars? Faith begins with believing in Christ, that he and what he did for you on that cross. And salvation is what he offers you if you simply believe to follow him. Let's pray. God, forgive us. Forgive us for just messing it up so many times allowing so many obstacles to get in the way of believing and completely trusting in you, Lord. Lord, we know that you, that you have what's best for us, Lord, that you know what's best for us. And many times we get in the way of that. Many times we, we think we know what's better When that happens, Lord, you know how many times we, we fall and flatten our faces. Lord, give us the strength to have more trust in you, Lord. Lord, show everyone here, show me that you can, Lord, that you Everything is in your hands, and you're absolutely in control of everything, Lord. Lord, forgive us for just being stubborn, for being hard-headed. Lord, we need that peace that surpasses all understanding. We need that peace to fill us and overwhelm us, and, and because... It is scary. Not having that peace. Lord, 
is faithful even when we're failures. And we know that even when we walk away, that you will always be there, waiting and waiting and waiting for us just to come back. And if that's you, if you've walked away, and if you just, it's been a long time since you've embraced and been at the feet of Jesus, you can come to him right now. You can come to him right now and just sit on his lap and just say, just feel his grace and his love that he has towards you. Come to him in faith and come to him in full repentance with a broken heart. And Jesus will heal you. Thank you for what you did here with this paralyzed man, with the faith of these four men. What you show, show, sh showed us through these scribes. Thank you, Lord. You've been just so good to us. Right now, we ask that you just bless our day, bless this Sunday, bless this time of fellowship that we may just be able to come as one and just glorify you and that we'll just be able to talk about the blessings all the blessings you have left continue to shape us and mold us throughout this week continue to transform our minds and our hearts to more into the likeness of Jesus Thank you.